Well, I thought I'd tell you one little story just to encourage you and further encouragement. It is recorded, so if you fall asleep, you can <laughs> listen again if you want to. Um, <clears throat> one of the visits I've been making every year now for more than 30 years is I spend the month of October in Denmark. Uh, Denmark is uh, historically a very Christian country. It had nearly 100% church attendance about 200 years ago. <laughs> um, the basic church is Lutheran. It's a state church. Um, about 100 years ago, it turned very liberal, and uh, Lutheran pastors had more and more education about less and less Christianity or Bible. And uh, many go into seminary having some sort of faith and come out without any. Uh, <clears throat> so church attendance dropped to below 2%. Um, <clears throat> but while they still believe stuff, they sent missionaries to Africa, and now the Africans are sending missionaries to Denmark. There's more than 200 churches in the greater Copenhagen area planted by Africans, <laughs> believe it or not. And some of them are very exciting. There's also various other churches there. Uh, Last year in the month of October, I uh, was in two Nepali churches and one Spanish church. <laughs> and, uh, it's great to see all these things springing up, and even a few Lutherans are starting to believe again. So that's encouraging. <clears throat> Thursdays I spend in the prison, Fridays uh, in a church, Friday mornings, a lot of refugees going into Denmark, and for the first year they're in the country, they're in jail because uh, the authorities check out their background to see if they've got any terrorist connections anywhere, so they spend that time in a maximum security jail. So that's where I go on Thursdays. And Fridays, uh, they if they've got through the year in jail without any suspicious contacts, then they're allowed out occasionally and they stay in a less secure prison camp reunited with their families. And the church is allowed to take them out Friday morning, so they usually take about 100 out and they give them a really good breakfast and a whole morning's program of which I'm a small part. And every Thursday and every Friday people come to the Lord. <coughs> and uh, this last time... Uh, I I can only go in under the auspices of uh, one Lutheran pastor who is actually a believer and he takes me in with him because it means when we get in there I do everything he doesn't have to do anything and, uh, <clears throat> and this one year there was a lady who had been a Lutheran missionary in Taiwan and she had just retired after 37 years in Taiwan and she asked, could she go to the prison? She wanted to see what was happening. So she came with us. And none of us had any idea, but there was one Chinese woman in jail. And she was from a Christian family in Shanghai. <coughs> and her parents had done their best to teach her the gospel. And some of us here know what it's like to try and get your kids to follow you. And they don't always. And this one didn't. But when she was 18, she was about to leave home because she could. 
and uh, dad decided to have one last attempt to teach the gospel and she kept saying you know it's okay for you dad it's not for me I'm different and so in this last morning she was at home he taught her from John chapter 3 and John chapter 4 John chapter 3 of course is Nicodemus who is very religious he is old he is male and uh, very well educated and knows all the scriptures. John chapter 4 is a woman of Samaria who has decided religion doesn't work for her and she's going into marriage multiple times and then uh, just shacking up with somebody and she's not at all religious and she hates the idea. But, of course, both of them find life in Christ. <coughs> and that was the last time she was at home. She ran away from home then at 18 she got in trouble, she became a drug runner for the mafia, and she was arrested in Denmark and sent to prison for three years. She didn't speak Danish, she didn't speak English, <coughs> um, she did speak Chinese. <laughs> and she was in for three years, and the day we went there was her last week in, in the prison. And she decided she would go to this meeting. She'd never been to it before, though she knew it was happening. And so she came to the meeting. This missionary lady from Taiwan spoke the same Cantonese that she did. They somehow found each other, and they sat at the back, and the missionary lady translated for her. I asked God what I should speak on, and he said, Nicodemus, the woman at the well, I'd never spoken that combination before. And uh, she came to Christ, and the following week she went home to her parents in Shanghai, Christian home. So God's good. <laughs> and, uh, and when you think things are totally out of your control, that's good, because they're still in his control, and he knows what he's doing. Okay, I want to talk to you about two guys. You've heard of both of them, I'm sure. Uh, they're brothers. They're called Aaron and uh, eventually Moses. <clears throat> and uh, they lived a very bad time for the uh, Hebrew people as they were then known. They, of course, became Israel, or Israel and, and Judah, and then Israel again. <clears throat> but uh, they were slaves and had been slaves for four centuries. And four centuries is a long time in American history, isn't it? <laughs> <clears throat> so this was mindset, you know. They weren't thinking about revolution and escape. They were slaves, that was it. And they were slaves, of course, of the most cultured, but also most powerful nation in the world at that time, Egypt. And uh, <clears throat> they were becoming very numerous. They were multiplying because they were good at arithmetic. And so they were just checking. <laughs> so there were about three million of them. And uh, <clears throat> it was becoming uh, a great asset, of course, from a workforce point of view, but something of a threat. If three million slaves inside the country somehow got influenced by an outer enemy, and combined with them, it could be very serious. So they decided three million was enough. They could, you know, do most of the work. So <clears throat> the pharaoh ordered that every baby boy 
was to be killed at birth. <coughs> and so that was, of course, very humiliating and, and uh, depressing for, for them. And I realize now I've forgotten to ask the most important question, and that is, uh, what time am I supposed to stop? <laughs> <laughs> You're happy with that? <laughs> okay. Um, so, um, it wasn't necessarily good news when Aaron, who was two, uh, was told by his mom that she was expecting a child. And they probably prayed, God, let it be a, bo uh, let it be a girl. I think that's what I would have done anyway. If it's got to be killed, if it's a boy, let's have a girl, right? Because God wasn't listening, he never does really, does he? <laughs> and uh, it was a boy. And by now Aaron is three, and uh, this boy should be killed, but his parents, mainly out of faith but also courage, decide they're not going to kill this boy. And that would mean if they were found out, the whole family would be killed. Uh, <clears throat> and at three, Aaron is too old not to be told because he could give the game away, couldn't he? And how do you hide a baby when you're slaves? When you're outside all day, under the sun, making mud bricks, <coughs> and uh, driven by slave drivers to keep the pace up. <coughs> Babies aren't usually very cooperative, are they? Uh, so somehow they've got to hide this baby, not only during the day, but also during the night. And babies are no more cooperative at night than they are during the day. And so Aaron knows that somehow or other his baby brother mustn't cry. And, uh, or it's very serious. And that's terrifying when you're three years old. <coughs> and it went on for three months, which is eternity when you're three. <laughs> and... <clears throat> every day baby brother's lungs are developing and, and his voice is getting louder and, and the risk of discovery is increasing until they they become desperate by the time he's three months old and they've got to do something else. So they make a pathetic little boat out of rushes and, and a bit of tar and they put their baby in it and set it floating in a backwater of the River Nile where the Egyptian noblewomen came to bathe. And Aaron not only had a baby brother, he had a big sister. And we don't know how old she was because women are very secretive on these issues. <laughs> they don't tell you. But uh, it's a fair guess she's about six. And she's sent to keep watch over a baby brother. And the women come down to the water's edge. They see this funny little object floating over there. One of them is sent to go and fetch it. And uh, they bring the baby to the princess. And just at that moment, uh, as she sees it's a baby in there, he wakes up and on cue cries and her maternal heart strings are pulled. And, and she thinks, ah. <coughs> and... Uh, Yet it's a moment of supreme danger because it is her dad's orders that have been ignored by these slave people. And this baby should be dead. Um, but it's this moment that Miriam takes a little six-year-old life into her hands and goes to the princess and says, would you like me to find you 
a nursing mother who can feed this child for you. <laughs> it wouldn't take a rocket scientist to work out who that was going to be, would it? <clears throat> but slender and fragile as this plan looks, this is God's plan. And he's in it, and it's not going to fail. And God's plans usually look very fragile. If you look in the mirror, <laughs> you're his plan for your bit of the world. <laughs> so, amazingly, the princess not only agrees that the baby should be fed by whoever Miriam's going to find, but she pays for it, which is pretty good when you're a slave. <laughs> and, and so Aaron feels a little more sympathetic, and of course it's the princess who names the baby Moses. And he comes home, and he'll stay home until he is weaned, which absolute maximum, even if they prolong it as long as they possibly can, three years, and that's stretching things quite a lot. <clears throat> so the parents have that long to influence their son. And they use the time well because somehow or other they teach him who they are and who God is. And you can be sure that the Egyptians wouldn't be doing that. But then Moses goes to live in the palace. Aaron continues to be a slave, making mud bricks seven days a week under the lash of a taskmaster. <clears throat> and uh, no variation, no days off, <clears throat> no weekends, no Super Bowls. It <laughs> <clears throat> didn't last too long, though. Just 37 years. <laughs> You're in a hurry. You know, God is never in a hurry for a good reason. He's never late. And there is a reason for him never being late. He starts in time. That's the secret of not being late. <laughs> and he starts in time because nothing takes him by surprise. <clears throat> Aaron probably had a great hope. God, you are so ingenious. You have planted my brother in the palace. He must be gaining influence. He must use that influence one day to make things better for us, right? Maybe we'll get a day off every year, you know, or a slightly improved diet, or even living quarters. But 37 years go by, and Moses does nothing. And uh, Aaron must have wondered, what's going on here? At the age of 40, Moses comes to a very considered, deliberate decision. And he's the one man, maybe in the whole of history, who can make this decision. In the palace, he gets every possible luxury. He gets the best education of anybody in the world. The Egyptians are very cultured. Mathematics, art, building techniques, they're pretty famous for that. <laughs> I was once in the city of Corning, New York, 
where there are some very beautiful glass objects, some of them intact, some of it colored, that predate Moses. Uh, uh, beautiful stuff. <coughs> and they're from Egypt, of course. Um, <coughs> so he is being educated in all the things the Egyptians know. The one thing they won't teach him is who God is. And he's got this fancy education, all kinds of entertainment, best food in the world. He's eating at the royal table. <coughs> His granddad is Pharaoh. <laughs> Aaron is continuing to be a slave. Kicked around, brutalized, not one day off of school, no books. <coughs> Did you ever think things weren't quite fair in your family? <laughs> Did you? you know, if anybody was really entitled to think this is Aaron, isn't he? <clears throat> but Moses in position to see out there is what it's like to be a slave. I know what they eat. I know where they live. I know what their lifestyle is. In here, I know what it's like to be privileged. Every possible privilege is there for me. At the age of 40, Moses came to a very considered decision. It is better to be a slave, if you have to be a slave, but be right with God, than to be the most powerful, wealthy man in the world, if you're not. Jesus would translate it like this. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And Moses has this choice to make, and he makes it when he's 40, not when he's an impulsive kid. <clears throat> and he identifies with his own people as slaves. And one day he's out and he sees, uh, maybe I should add this, <clears throat> many of us think it's not necessary to make that choice. You know, can't I choose to follow Jesus and be rich? Huh? Wouldn't that be good? No, you can't. You can't. Jesus, again, no man can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. have to choose. If you choose God, he might give you money. Usually he doesn't. Now, the history of God's people or the church over 2,000 years, not many wealthy. <coughs> God might give you money. He doesn't have to. <laughs> But you can't choose it. You've got to choose in your own heart. You can't serve two masters. So Moses now sees an Egyptian whipping a Hebrew slave, identifies with the slave, kills the Egyptian, buries his body, and thinks it's a secret. <laughs> Next day he sees two Hebrews fighting, tries to celebrate it, separate them, and one of them says, Ha! Huh, 
So what are you going to do? Kill me like you did the Egyptian yesterday, eh? <laughs> and Moses realized, hey, this is not a secret. <laughs> the secret is out. And if it is, Pharaoh is going to know pretty soon. I'd better get out of here. And he leaves the country. And he was right because Pharaoh was looking for him. <clears throat> and no doubt Aaron heard that. What did that feel like? What? He's murdered somebody? Can't show his face in the country? He's lost every opportunity of using his influence to improve things for us? What an idiot! <laughs> God, what are you doing? <laughs> and Moses disappears from the scene. Not for too long. Just another 40 years. <laughs> you in a hurry? <laughs> Worse than the Canadian Postal Service. <laughs> <clears throat> then Aaron is 83. Not many people are thinking of a radical new career when they achieve that, that age. However, as far as we know, this is the first time God speaks to Aaron. And he says, I want you to go out in the desert and meet your brother. Didn't sound like a very intelligent plan. No. Oh, sure, God, the Egyptians just let us wander off out there any time we feel like it. Great, yeah. <coughs> there are people watching me. <laughs> oh, uh, the desert, I've never been there, but I think it's a big place. How do you find one guy in the desert? And if I find him, <laughs> last time I saw him was 77 years ago when he was three. How will I recognize it? <laughs> but weird as it sounds, air on the base, and of course, of course you might think, well, things can't get much worse, can they? <clears throat> but he does it anyway. He goes off into the desert somehow, meets Moses, who has just had an encounter with God. And Moses had a speech defect. <laughs> and wasn't helped by having just met God <clears throat> and God has told him he's going to use him to deliver the whole nation uh, only Moses wasn't too keen on the job and so he said here am I <laughs> send Aaron <laughs> and so God agrees to this <laughs> to, gets pretty upset with Moses on route but <clears throat> now God will speak to Moses Moses will speak to Aaron Aaron will speak to Pharaoh Aaron probably wondered why should I speak to Pharaoh he's a dangerous guy and I've never even been in a decent house you know let alone a palace and how do you get past the security guards and just bust into Pharaoh's bedroom and say, here's what God's saying. <clears throat> First they go to their own people. And what they say to their own people is, 
God has seen your affliction. And the response is remarkable. They worshipped. There are people without any hope. They four centuries of slavery. And these two octogenarians come out of the desert. <laughs> 83 and 80. A runaway slave and a wanted murderer. And they say, God's going to use us to set you all free. <laughs> what do you think, really? God's plans look pretty fragile sometimes, don't they? But then they did when there was a baby born in Bethlehem, didn't they? And the king wanted him dead. If God's in it, it's going to work. Crazy as it seems. And the people worshipped. When you're suffering you tend to isolate yourself. You build up defensive walls so people can't make it any worse. And then you get very lonely. And when God penetrates that and says, hey, I have seen your affliction. Nobody else might know, but I know exactly what's going on with you. It doesn't alter the situation. You're still in the same situation. But what it does change is your heart. And that's what's really the problem. It's not a situation. It's how you're taking it. And the people worshipped. Well then, somehow or other, Moses and Aaron go to see Pharaoh (coughs) and demand in the name of God that Pharaoh will let three million slaves go. Which is a pretty big asset. Who's going to do all that work when they go? Not me. (laughs) Pharaoh is not impressed. No surprise, is it? You must have an awful lot of spare time on your hands if you can sit around and dream up this nonsense. We'd better occupy your time better. Okay, here's what we'll do. You still produce the same number of bricks, only you have to go and get your own straws. Well, we're not going to provide it anymore. That'll stop you dreaming these idiotic schemes. <coughs> and so what was already a totally miserable lifestyle is made even worse. And the, the discipline mediated by the guards is ratcheted up a few more notches and Three million people moan and complain about Moses and Aaron. (laughs) It's the privilege of being in spiritual leadership. (laughs) If anything goes wrong, it's got to be your fault. (laughs) Can't be God's fault, it's not my fault, it must be yours. But now there follow ten plagues that come come and go at the word of God to Moses, to Aaron, to Pharaoh. And every one of the plagues is very significant in terms of striking at the wealth of the nation and the well-being of the people. 
and the serious afflictions and devastation of the economy. <clears throat> Pressure builds up on fair. You better get these people out of here. They're, they're no longer an asset. <clears throat> and after the tenth plague was caused, death of the firstborn, <clears throat> Pharaoh agrees and says the people can go and the rest of the nation have been thinking that for a long time. So they come to the Hebrews and <clears throat> will you leave please here? Hey, hey, do you need anything? Just take it. Some gold here, silver, gold. Animals, take them. Just get out of here. See, it is really nice to be popular. <laughs> and so three million Hebrews leave with all kinds of stuff that the Egyptians have given them. Pharaoh changes his mind then sends the army to get them back. And they're not moving very quickly. You can't move three million people very quickly. You know yourself, if there's a, a threat like a, a hurricane or something to a city, it's very difficult to get even one million people out of there. And they've got vehicles. <laughs> move three million people with no vehicles and some of them old, some of them sick, some of them pregnant, some of them babies. They're not going to move all that quickly. And they're, <clears throat> they've got animals to bring with them as well and stuff to carry. <clears throat> so they're moving very slowly and God brings them to the, the Red Sea, which seems a weird place since they are not thinking about a vacation and none of them can swim, and there aren't any boats there. And, and what are they coming here for? And then the army's coming after them. <clears throat> and they find that they're trapped between Pharaoh, who to them was the devil incarnate. Here they were trapped between the devil and the deep Red Sea. <laughs> and uh, they panic. But God has designed this situation. The problem in front is only there to take care of the problem behind. <laughs> and what they have to is obey Moses' instruction, stand still, which is hard to do when you're panicking. Stand still and see the deliverance of God. And they do that, and then God opens up the ocean, and they go over, and the Egyptian army is destroyed, and three million people celebrate. First day of real freedom in their lives first day of freedom in the whole nation for four centuries. They've experienced the faithfulness of God. He said he would do it, and against all likely predictions, he's actually done it. They've uh, also seen the power of God, that he can wipe out, wipe out an army in ten minutes. Three million people celebrate. And then they go to Mount Sinai where God is going to actually marry this nation. They're his chosen bride. Not because they were a great nation, they weren't. They were a small nation with no assets. And uh, they weren't cultured, beautiful people. They were ignorant slaves. <coughs> But he's going to make this covenant with them. They're going to be his bride. <clears throat> and the deal was this. He would be their God. They would be his people. <clears throat> he would be their provider. 
they were slaves, they had nothing except what they were able to carry and the Egyptians had given them. He was going to give them a country. And this country would have everything that they could need. It would have gold, silver, precious stones, iron, copper. They could make tools, they could make weapons, they could make bronze decorations, they could trade. It had rainfall, it, it had wheat, vines, fig trees, pomegranates. And uh, in a poetic sense, it was flowing with milk and honey. A land in which God said, you will not lack anything in it. I've got everything ready for you. You're not going to have to build your own country, it's already built. I've had giants in there building it. <laughs> yeah. Caterpillar aren't in business yet, but giants are the next best thing. <clears throat> and the roads are made, the cities are made, the villages are made, the farms are made, you're just going to take it. It's yours. I'm going to protect you, and I'm going to guide you. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. Chosen out of the whole world, to let the rest of the world know what I'm like. They don't know. They've lost sight of who I am. You're going to show them. You're going to show them my magnificence, my perfection, my wisdom. And he was also going to give them laws. And laws are useful. You know, Some man-made laws could be improved, of course. But if you have no law... <laughs> as in the Wild West. <laughs> Things are difficult if you're not the biggest man with a couple of, of revolvers at your hip. <clears throat> you know, life is difficult. Or if you try to drive through Dublin, you see what it's like when people have got no laws. <laughs> it's nice if we agree at least we're going to drive on the right or we're going to drive. Let's, let's pick one side and stay with that one, right? Laws are useful. And every law that God gave them was good because every law was based on his character, perfection. And so he was giving them this added blessing. And this marriage contract, this covenant, was to be drawn up at Mount Sinai and Moses was to be their representative. But he was to be the only man on the mountain, nobody else. And they actually had to go right round the base of the mountain and set up barricades, a major construction project. And then nobody, no man, woman, child, or even animal was to be allowed to cross the barrier. God said, if you do... Even an animal stone it to death. I'm a holy God. Unapproachable in my holiness. Sinful people can't get near me. I don't allow it. If you don't obey this instruction and somebody crosses a barricade, I will break out in a judgment of fire amongst you. which, of course, helps fill in our picture of God, doesn't it? <clears throat> he's loving, he's amazingly able to provide and protect, but you don't fool around with him. 
So after they built the barricades, then there's three days of total fast, nothing to eat, nothing to drink, no plastic bottles of water. We're not going to pollute the oceans yet. <laughs> and you can survive without one. <laughs> no sex. God really does mess with things. And no work. <laughs> what are they going to do all the time? Meditate. Three days with nothing else to do except get adjusted to the importance of this fact. The Almighty is going to make a contract with you. Then Moses alone goes up the mountain. It's shaking with earthquake, covered with dense clouds, lightning flashes, terrifying thing. They're all at the base of the mountain with Aaron. Moses goes up to meet God. God has not seen fit to explain how long this is going to take. God doesn't think he's necessary to it. explain everything every time. <laughs> In fact, he uses time to test our hearts. Three million people, but they're free. You know, they've only been free for a few weeks. They could enjoy their freedom. All kinds of things they could do. But time to move. We're getting itchy. Hey, Aaron, did your brother not say when he was coming back? It's getting boring, Aaron. 30 days now, not a word. He might have died. Can't go up there and find out, can we? You know, Aaron, Moses was never one of us. He doesn't know what it's like to be a slave. You do. You're one of us. And you're the one that went in and talked to Pharaoh. <laughs> Why don't you be our leader? Forget you, brother. We don't need him. He grew up in this fancy palace with all these weird Egyptian ideas. We don't need him. You be our leader. And this God, he's not really like a president, is he? We don't know how to lobby him. We don't know how to pressurize him. <laughs> We can't get near to it. Why don't you make us a new God? And just forget him. Leave him there on the mountain. We'll go on with you. You be our leader. Make us a new God. And we're out of here. And eventually, as time goes by, this really gets to Aaron. And he agrees. And he says, okay then. Give me your golden earring." And uh, these earrings that they've only had for a few weeks, uh, uh, taken off their ears, given to him, and he makes a golden calf, a hunk of metal. And then he says, this is the God that got you out of Egypt. What? 
you ain't heard of anything quite that stupid. I mean, what can they do now? <laughs> this got us out of Egypt? <laughs> you know, can't even speak, can it? Just say moo. <laughs> Nothing. But there was one good, well, a couple of good things about it. One is, it would face whatever way they wanted it to face. Isn't that good? Useful, yeah. Gold, of course, representative of wealth. And a calf, representative of strength. The strongest thing they knew, it pulled their plows and their carts. This is what they wanted. It's the kind of God they wanted. A God that would make them rich and strong, but would go anywhere they wanted him to go. Okay? Yeah. No moral influence. Cows aren't moral animals. <laughs> Not intelligent, but strong and rich. Of course, we wouldn't make a golden calf, would we? But we might just modify our mental image of God to be right in that category, right? And it appeals to them, and they start sacrificing to this ridiculous animal and bowing down to it and then drinking around it and dancing around it and everything else. All this time, Moses is up there with God telling him about his plans for Aaron. Aaron is going to be the first priest. God is designing his robes the sacrifices he will make, the oil that will anoint him, the way his sons will follow him into that ministry. And God has got all these amazing plans for Aaron that he's giving to Moses. Aaron is at the bottom of the mountain planning to abandon Moses, abandon God, and go with the people and lead them all away from God. And one of the things that God gives to Moses, of course, the Ten Commandments, engraved by the finger of God in stone, and the very first one says, you will have no other gods before me. Why not? Second one, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God is not cool. He's white hot. Our God is a consuming fire. Burning in love towards us, which is great news, except you realize you can't have two gods. You will have no other gods before me. And here's Aaron making one. And three million people worshipping one. The worst sin you can commit from God's perspective is to have another god. That's why the first commandment, the most important, is you will have no other gods. And again, you probably don't have a golden calf at home. Gold is not that abundant for most of us. <coughs> so what might another god look like? Well, might look like <coughs> grandchildren. Might look like your reputation. Might look like your career financial security 
even a sports team. <laughs> right? Anything that's more important to you, practically speaking, than God is, is an idol. And it makes God feel like a man who has just watched his wife commit adultery. So God says to Moses, Hey Moses, your people whom you brought out of Egypt have just forsaken both of us. They made themselves an idol. They're giving it credit for getting them out of Egypt. Stand back. I'll wipe them out. I'll replace them with you. You will become a great nation. And all my promises will come through you. And Moses says, Hang on, God. Hang on. Your people whom you brought out of Egypt. <laughs> Do you notice a conflict there? Your people whom you brought out of Egypt. Ah, no. Your people whom you brought out of Egypt. What do you understand from that? Neither God nor Moses wanted them, right? <laughs> They're your people. Oh, no. Your people. <laughs> so whose people were they really? And who really got them out of Egypt? Moses stretched his rod out of the Red Sea. He's not daft enough to think that's why it's separated. (laughs) Whose church do you attend? Jesus said, I will build my church. He's the only one who can build it because the church is built of saved souls, isn't it? And he's the only one that can do that. So it's good to get the mindset, this is not my church, this is not our church, this is his church. We better do it the way he wants. We all have our opinions of how it ought to be done. (laughs) And of course mine is better than everybody else's, but there's only one that matters. And... Sometimes we get so arrogant we think we can build it. You know, we've got the right theology, we've got the right ideas, techniques, gimmicks, <coughs> the right worship songs, we can do it. No, only he can do it. And Moses understands this and he says, Hey God, what are the Egyptians going to say if you do this? This God rescues all these people, gets them out of slavery. Two months later, he kills them all. (laughs) Don't think we want to follow him, do we? God, it won't be good for your reputation. And mine doesn't matter, yours does. How is it Jesus taught us to pray? Our Father who is in heaven, it's the next bit, hallowed be your name number one prayer number one importance most important thing for our world is they know who he is everything follows from that so our number one desire and prayer should be hallowed be your name God don't do it it might be good for me it's not good for you don't do it But so far, God has seen this debacle at the bottom of the mountain. Nobody else has. 
until Moses gets down there. <laughs> and then he sees it. And then these two brothers are face to face. <laughs> Little family squabble coming up here. 83 and 80. <laughs> this one has just betrayed this one, seized his position, taken over, abandoned him on the mountainside, <clears throat> and misled three million people and taken them away from the true God to worship this golden calf. Betrayed his God, supplanted his brother. And Moses has just been betrayed by his brother. How they feel, what they look like. They stare at each other. <laughs> this is a personal encounter. Aaron, full of shame, of course. He's just committed the worst sin he could commit and caused three million other people to do the same. <clears throat> a couple of weeks earlier, he watched God wipe out an army. <laughs> He's in trouble, right? <laughs> Not many excuses to offer. <clears throat> and if it comes to one-to-one -one combat, he's not going to win it, is he? Moses, hurt, angry. But Moses is going to do something amazing. He is going to go back up the mountain and say, God, you're right. No argument, you're right. But please forgive them. And if you can't forgive them, take my name out of the book you've written. What book has God written that's got names in it? Hmm? Only one, isn't there? Lamb's Book of Life. If your name's not in there, what happens to you when you die? What is Moses saying here? Forgive them. If you can't just forgive them, then send me to hell and forgive them. You ever pray like that? Ever even think like that? God, I'll go to heaven for eternity if you'll just pardon them. Who? The people that just dumped him. The brother that just betrayed him. Of course, Moses' sacrifice will be pointless. There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. Moses can't pay for us. Jesus only. And while Moses was prepared to go to hell, however far he understood that, Jesus did. The cross is not really about nails, it's really about hell. Now you might think that at 83, having just committed the worst sin you can commit and led three million people astray that would be the end of the road right not going to trust that guy again are we 
<clears throat> but it will be the beginning for him of a 40-year ministry as the first high priest. He will wear a white robe that will cover him. Little children's song, I am covered over with the robe of righteousness that Jesus gives to me. I am covered over by the precious blood of Jesus and he lives in me. <coughs> what a joy it is to know my heavenly father loves to me, loves me so he gives to me my Jesus. When he looks at me, he sees not what I used to be, but he sees Jesus. Aaron will be covered in a white robe, which of course you read about again in Revelation. <laughs> as all of us are given robes of white. He will wear a gold plate on his chest and two gold pouches on his shoulders. There will be 12 semi-precious stones on the plate, each one engraved with the name of one of the tribes of Israel. <clears throat> Same again on the shoulders. One day a year, he will be allowed into the presence of God, into the most holy place. Moses wouldn't get that. Aaron would. And he would go into the very presence of God, bearing his people on his chest and on his shoulders, the place of strength and the place of affection, and he will carry his people into the presence of God, where once he carried them in the opposite direction, now he's carrying them in the right direction. And of course, he's a picture of Jesus, who is in the presence of God now, taking you with him. He ever lives to make intercession for us. And Jesus has your name graven on his hands, on his shoulders, and on his chest, carrying you into the presence of the Father 24-7. And you as the head of your family, as the priest of your family, you can carry your loved ones and other people that God puts on your heart into the presence of God and plead for them. It's the most important thing you can do. And whether you're eight or 80, you can do it. There's no age limit, no disqualification. And uh, <clears throat> what our world needs more than anything else, a man who stand in the presence of God, hear the voice of God, follow the directions of God, and represent him to their family and their neighborhood. Amen.